Okay, today's reading comes from Acts twenty two thirty to 23, verse 11. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is God's word. Praise God. Thanks, brother. Hey, family, let's bow our heads in prayer and jump in the word. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that you have sought fit to provide the Holy Scriptures for us as your people. uh, To guide us, to teach us, to show us your ways, who you are. Uh, to reveal yourself in a certain way, Lord. We pray that by your grace you would allow us to have integrity with your text, where we would understand what you have to say. Lord, we all pray right now that you would be gracious to me as I lead, Lord. Would you lead through me? And Lord, we also want to just pray that, Lord, if I'm sharing things that are not from you, Lord, you would strike it down. And Lord, if it's from you, Lord, you'd allow it to bring forth fruit. We pray your word wouldn't return void, Lord, but you would allow it to accomplish the purposes you have in store for your name's sake, Jesus. So we just trust you right now. We thank you that you use man as your instrument. You'll use this body and use me. But Lord, we are trusting you, Christ, to speak. Have your way in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat, fam. Uh, obviously, we're in Acts chapter 23. Uh, we got Bibles being passed out right now by your pastor, Leon. If you raise their hand, he can hook you up. As a local community, we are very serious about you navigating through the scriptures. And so if you need a Bible at the house, let us know. We would love to give you one. We want you to be understanding the text. Now, if you are visitors, we have every other week we do uh, kids time where the kids go. uh, And then we have them come here. And so this is the week where they're here. Just want to give you that heads up. 
We are, if you are, you're on a moving train right now, we, as a local community, go through books of the Bible. Uh, and we, we do that for many reasons because we think it allows us to stay faithful to the text, most importantly. It allows us to stay faithful to uh, the narrative of Scripture. Uh, it also allows us not to get comfortable in those places that really make us feel better about ourselves, those easy places. But if we're going to navigate the whole counsel of God's Word, now you can't, you can't like, hide behind any cracks. And so uh, we love that reality. And right now we've been going through the book of Acts. As you know, for over a year now, uh, we're going to be in Acts to actually probably the end of July. And then we're going to have a small series in August. And then we're going to hit the book of Exodus starting in the fall. And so uh, that's what's up. That's your calendar for your reading and your uh, preparation as we continue to grow in the Lord together and desire to hit every book in the Bible. Um, that's our heart. So uh, a lot is going on. We are in um, Acts chapter 23. A lot is going on in this book. I'm, uh, basically, in a nutshell, you had two canons becoming one. You had God revealing himself as a king, people not believing it. He dies on the cross. The, the, the disciples are in shambles. He rises from the dead. He reveals himself, shows that he's actually king. Not only is he king, but he has a mission for these guys. They're excited now. They don't know what the mission is. He tells them the mission. He says, not only am I going to tell you the mission, but I'm going to empower you so you're able to do the mission. He empowers them with the Holy Spirit. Uh, they begin to see miracles. The local church begins to grow. God begins to allow things to happen in awesome ways. He begins to purify the church. There's some sin issues. God deals with that. We see the church begins to thrive. Also, the church begins to be spread out because basically the believers weren't doing what they're supposed to do. And so what happened? Persecution came. And in persecution, which is not an enemy of the church, actually God's name was actually exalted more because people went to other places and talked to other people about Jesus. Praise God. People started becoming uh, Christians in those areas as well. We have Saul. is a guy who's killing Christians. He's going on his tirade. Uh, God just wants to show the world that he's in control. He takes the guy who's the enemy of the church. He makes him a Christian. The same guy who's a known Pharisee becomes a Christian. Paul, basically the greatest theologian probably in New Testament scriptures, next to Christ himself. And actually he becomes a proponent of, uh, of Christianity, begins to proclaim the gospel, begins to go on missionary journeys where he travels and basically gives his life uh, for Jesus' sake. Basically what he does, he retells tells the story that Jesus retells about Jerusalem, Israel, but Jesus actually tells that story well. And then, so basically we are retelling the story that we get to see Jesus retell, that we get to see Paul retell. And that's the story where our life is to be on mission for Jesus, Jesus Christ, for Yahweh, God, right? So that's the whole point. So now I'm going to take you to a few places. If you can go to the map. Can we go to the map? Uh-oh. So you have, so basically here's a guy who uh, is going on three missionary journeys. Uh, we're talking, if I remember correctly, we're talking like 1,400 miles, one of the missionary journeys. Another missionary journey was around 2,400 miles. And another missionary journey was about 2,800 miles. Okay? This is in the first century. No cars, no freeways, right? We're talking boats and camels and goats and whatever. Right, and so you got the three missionary journeys going all around. We begin to see uh, Paul begins to proclaim the gospel to the Jews. Every place he goes, he tries to find a synagogue. People kick him out of the synagogue, get mad at him. He gets, he gets all kind of persecution that happens to him. Then he begins to preach the gospel to the Gentiles as well. 
All right, and then he goes over to actually Europe proper when he crosses over to see over Troas uh, to the west. He goes over to Europe proper where there is no, not many uh, Jews, and he begins to preach to like Gentile central. And God begins to use him in, in awesome ways where people become Christians in these areas where they've been paganized their whole life, right? And so what happens is during this time, uh, Paul comes back through to re-encourage the church in one of his missionary journeys uh, in a realm of discipleship. So he shares his faith. People come to Jesus, him and his work. And then he goes back to those places. And in all these places, people are threatening to kill him. In a few places, they try to kill him. But yet he goes back, and it shows you the importance of discipleship, by the way. He goes back to these places. And now what's happened in the last few weeks, or maybe say a month or so, we've seen... Paul set up shop in Jerusalem, and, and right now he is actually um, in prison. He's actually um, been in jail. And what had happened was they had almost killed Paul a few weeks ago, okay? Just like they killed Stephen real quickly with the bricks. We had, a, we had an exhibition here in our local body where I tried to remind us that this is a book in history. This stuff isn't just fable, right? This stuff actually happens. And this is, a, this is people like you and me, and they get mad and angry, and they're broken and jacked up. And they get here, and they think that Paul is actually black blaspheming their God. And this is, this is very important to a mindset of a Jewish person. And so all these guys began to try to be faithful to Yahweh and they tried to kill Paul. And he almost did. He's beat up and bruised to the point where the Roman centurion guards had to come grab Paul, put him on their back and carry him into a safe place because they were all beating him that bad. All right. So then we see in a text that He's beaten down. He's like mutilated. I mean, I'm I'm proposing to you, maybe in another 20 to 30 seconds, he probably would have been dead. Maybe there's some things broke. We know for sure he's bruised. I mean, the man couldn't even get up. They had to pick him up and carry him. Okay. But then we see him have the the wherewithal to go, hey, I want to talk to the people one more time. Remember, we laughed at that. He just got beat down by the whole crowd. He says, no, I need to talk to them again. And he goes out. And he waves his hand and everyone stops. And what we get to see is we get to see all these little remnants of the power of the Holy Spirit. That God is showing that he's in control. Even though it looks like the world is in control, actually God is in control. And so he begins to preach the gospel to all the onlookers because this is the feast of Passover. So you've got about a million Jews there. And he's preaching the gospel to all these people. And everything is kind of going okay because he's like, I'm your guy. I grew up a Pharisee. I'm, I'm a really, real, real serious, serious Jew. And they're like, okay, let's hear this brother out. And then he uses the key word that just made them go crazy. He said Gentile. <laughs> Remember that? And they got mad again, okay? And they tried to figure out, they tried to pick up stones to stone him, but there was no stones, it was just dirt. And so they had a big old dust battle. Remember that? And so now where we're at, where we at is, they, is, they, is the Roman guards bring them, bring them back inside, and they're kind of trying to figure this out because they thought he was first this Egyptian guy who kind of tried to dethrone Rome at first uh, many years ago. But they realized he wasn't that guy because he spoke Greek. He was very intelligent. So they said, oh, he's not just some tyrant guy. He's some other guy. So we don't know who he is. So he goes out and speaks. They're kind of wondering, who is this guy? We, we can kill him, but we're not going to yet because we just don't know who he is. They find out that actually that he is actually uh, a Greek, right? They find out that actually he is a Roman citizen, that he's a Jewish guy who's a Roman citizen. They're like, oh my goodness. Well, we, we, we're not supposed to be beating up a Roman citizen, right? And so they, they, they pause and it's kind of like, well, what do we do with this guy? We don't know what to do with him. He's a Roman citizen. We're not supposed to be beating him up, but these, this whole crowd wants us to destroy him because he's blaspheming the temple. We don't, we don't get what's going on. And so here we are in chapter 23 and we're right in the midst of this issue. 
And we've learned a lot through all those, through those different talks, right? We've seen a lot of what God is trying to teach us about God's character, about what does it mean to be a man and woman of God. We've seen a lot. Look at this text here. I love this text because this is a very plain text, which actually shows us, I think there's many texts in the scripture that can show us our humanity, but I like this one because this one's kind of street. This really shows us uh, a little snapshot of the humanity of Paul. Y'all ready to see this? Check this out. Now, remember, you know, like in the soap operas, you know, you, you get here, you've been here last week and now you're here this week and you think, you think Paul maybe was had a break for a week, but Paul didn't, right? <laughs> Paul, Paul is just, he's had like maybe a day. Okay. So look at what the text says. It says, but on the next day, now remember what we just said happened. Paul's been beat up. Okay. He's been mutilated, beat down while he's being beat down. He wants to go out and preach. They get mad, scare him to death again. They bring him back in. And what do they do? Remember it said the scriptures, that they prepared him to be tortured. Remember that? So they stretch him. I'm sure that hurts something. So this man's going through it, right? And he didn't get a week off, right? The next day, the scripture says, right? This is where he's at. So can you imagine now, have you, I don't know about you, and we talked about, you know, being jumped before and being in fights and stuff like that. Um, Even if you haven't been in any violent fights, that's okay. But after you really hurt yourself, you know, you sprain your ankle real bad or, so, or you know, you get hit in the, in the gut or something or something happens where you hit your head real hard on the wall, you know, for some reason or, or you fall downstairs or something crazy happens. You, hey, doesn't it hurt more the next day? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the day where you're like, man, right? Well, this is the next day. All right. Look what the scripture says. It says, but on the next day, verse 30, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews. And I always tell us as a local body, when you read it in the text, always ask yourself, so what are, you know, the first century Jews are reading this to be, to be encouraged in their faith, right? Because they're being persecuted. Things are going on. God is trying to encourage them that, hey, Yahweh is, is, is revealing himself in Jesus. Jesus is God. And you need, no, no matter if, even if you have to die, give yourself to Jesus. Walk of Jesus. Enjoy Christ because Jesus is real. Right? And so they're reading this, and they're going through this right now, right? I mean, the, the, the people of the way aren't a popular sect right now, right? They're being persecuted. See, we don't get that in America. We got nine Bibles on our shelves. We can go hang out and preach and pray wherever we want in America. And there's some people in our same world today who gets killed for having Bibles, right? So these guys, he's trying to encourage the first. So think it to yourself. How does this encourage the mindset of a first century Jew as they're reading about what happened, the acts of, of the Holy Spirit, the acts of Paul, they're seeing this. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, the Romans, right, who were in power. Okay, remember, a long time ago, Alexander the Great came and, and Hellenized the known world, right? And so now you got these Romans running all these things, right? And it says, uh, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. So what they do is they say, hey, okay, we still don't know. We still haven't figured out what's going on. So what we'll do is we'll give Paul back to his leaders and we'll kind of see what happens. So we can learn what's really going on to see what we need to do. Right? Because they're still trying to know what is the reason behind. What they're really trying to understand is why are all these people so upset at one dude? They don't get it. I mean, I, we're like, man, I get being upset, but all y'all? Right. 
Caleb. Remember who it was? You had, remember you had the centurion, you had the guys who were in control of all the centurions? Well, you had that guy, right? That guy was the guy who was kind of running the show. Yeah. So, so look what they do. So what happens is you have the centurions, all the guards, and the one who's running, who's in control of all the centurions is like kind of calling the shots. And he's like, we need to still figure out what's going on. So we give them to your leaders. Now, the leaders is the Jewish council, okay? Now, I want to paint this picture. And it's going to get a little academic, but stick with me here because this matters to what's going on in the text. So you got the Sanhedrin is what it's called. The Jewish council is what you call the Sanhedrin back in the day, okay? Now, the Sanhedrin met together, and they would always have drama, okay? But the Sanhedrin was made up of basically the elders. So basically people who were, who were the leaders in different family tri- tribes in the community, all right? It was made up of, of Sadducees who were basically very religious people, Pharisees. Very religious leaders. So you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees are two different sects, almost like the Democrats and the Republicans, but, the, but, the, but kind of the, the upper echelon of the religious community. These are the ones who ran things, right? And then you have uh, the high priest, okay? The high priest, and that guy would change here and there. The high priest was the one who kind of was in control of everybody. So this is, who, this is kind of the, the Jewish council that they're talking about here. They would come together to meet. These guys are extremely powerful. So this is like the extremely powerful council. In fact, they even had like their own police force. Okay, and that's why, like um, actually, you know, if you go to uh, Rome, uh, the Vatican, you know they have their own police. Right? It's kind of like that. I mean, that's, that's how powerful even like the Vatican is. That when you go there, they're like, no, we got our own police. We don't deal with Italy. We, deal, we, got, wrong. we got our own police. Well, in the same way, these guys had a lot of power, but they had power to bring judgment upon you, to, to discipline you, but they didn't have power to put you to death. And that actually speaks to the reason why in the, in the Gospels, the Jews had to go to Pontius Pilate to put Jesus to death. Okay. Because the only way that this, this, this group could actually put someone to death if they showed that they had defamed the temple. That was the only way. And so that's the reason why even when those guys start making up accusations about Paul, him bringing a Gentile in, they wanted to make it an issue of him defaming the temple because then they could have an opportunity to kill Paul. So they're kind of making up stuff to figure out ways to kill him. That makes sense? So hope it's all coming together. You see and now strategically why, why things are said in the scriptures is because of what the power structures were at the time. Okay, so, so basically you, you, they, they, they meet together and it says in the scriptures, and I love this, he says, And looking intently, talking about Paul at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And verse 2, And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Right? Now, I love this. He start, Paul starts off, super like just down to earth and I can I say the word street like he, he starts it off right he it says he's look the word intently is kind of like um uh, it's like earnestly beholding it's like it's like it's like staring at someone right he's kind of like like what like you think about it you got these powerful people who you've been who they've given you to them and you're at their mercy you think your posture will be a little more like please don't hurt me or like kind of nice Right or something, but instead he's looking. He's looking at them like what, what? Right? He's looking intently at them. But you know why? First of all, I propose because he knows he's innocent, right? Because he knows that God is his judge, 
And I think there's something about his gospel fervor that he just understood. Like, I'm God's servant. Like, whatever's going to happen to me, as, as when Jesus said, no man take my life, right? I lay it down. I'm, I'm pretty sure Paul had that kind of spiritual confidence. Like, I'm in Christ's hands, first of all. But you know the other reason why I proposed that he looked intently at them? Because he knew these cats. He knew them. Remember we talked about it? He was a Pharisee, right? His dad was a Pharisee. Right. So he knew these guys. He knew he probably knew the high priest. So when he's standing there looking at him, he's kind of like he's kind of looking at these guys like, man, you you know me. You remember me. I can't believe you. You, you think I'm like a sucker. You he's staring at him like we know each other. So he's probably kind of staring at him, knowing that there is a camaraderie of like, hey, you know, I've never and I, and I prove it from the, what he says next. He's looking, saying, you know, I've never done anything like this unless I'm extremely convinced that God is in it. So he's looking at these guys, showing he's not a respected person. Look at what he says there. He calls them brothers. I think he calls them brothers for two reasons. First, he's trying to show they're not a respected persons, right? That usually when you talk to the Pharisees and the scribes, you kind of lifted them up. But what he did was he called them brothers. I also believe he called them brothers because he was also a Pharisee. So he's kind of bringing that connection again. He's saying, hey, brothers, like, you know, (laughs) you know me. And look what he says. He says, that I have lived my life before God in all good conscience. Love this. He says, that you know my story. You, you, so here's a, here's, a, here's a kicker. So when you read the book of Acts, family, sometimes you read it and you think, man, there's probably a lot of people like Paul persecuting the Christians like that. Do you read it like that? Do you ever pause and realize, you know what's interesting? There's a, there's a show on right now on NBC, uh, the Bible AD like kind of deal, and they're, they're, they're basically going through the book of Acts right now. Um, did you guys know that? And you know what's funny? Is I think they kind of got it right with Paul. You know what they show? They show that, man, in this whole area, you had this one dude who was super fervent about getting the Christians killed. Now, I'm sure there probably was a few more, but you know what's interesting? When you read Josephus' Antiquities and you read, you read about the persecution of the saints, you don't read a lot of people acting like Paul acted. You, you, and, and that's why I remember Paul. I remember Paul doesn't run up to Christians and start killing them. He had to go to the high priest. He had to get papers. He had to get notoriety from people who signed off and said, you can go and grab those guys. So he went on a witch hunt for, to go against Christians. My proposal to you, he probably, just for the sake of argument, maybe was in the top five of most feared dudes if you're a Christian. And I think that's being conservative. Now, why do I say that? Because many of these Pharisees probably never even touched a Christian. They probably never even tried to kill a Christian. They probably never even tried to pursue the the purity of Yahweh and say, no, they're saying things against my God. I'm going to go after them. That many of those Pharisees probably stood on the sidelines and read books. (laughs) And so Paul is looking at them going, hold up. Now, man, all y'all, you know, I know all y'all. And I'm the only one in all, out of all y'all who actually was killing Christians. I'm probably the only one out of all y'all who's actually running against and putting myself in harm's way to make sure that Yahweh was preserved and the beauty of our God was pure. I'm probably the only one, the few people who was out here saying, I'm going to fight for what truth is. Do you see the difference there? It's like, I'm just trying, I'm trying, to, trying to liken it. Like, they're, they're, beating, they're, they're accusing him of being, not being Jew enough or, or blaspheming Yahweh. And he's thinking, I protected 
Yahweh exponentially more than all y'all. And all y'all know it. That's the kicker. This ain't no rumor. You saw me. I, oh, Dave, I asked you to come with me that day, remember? And you said, no, nah, man, I got to go do something. And you, John, I asked you to come hang out, man. I asked you to grab the dude's arm when he starts swinging. You said, no, no, I can't do that, man. Like, he's looking around. He's going, I was a G. I was a, I was a guy who was serious, and you guys are playing around. You see that? So he's looking at these guys going, wait a minute. These brothers put me on trial? So he goes on and says, it says, then Paul said to them, I'm sorry. So then he, he, these guys come up, and I love this concept. This is, this, is, this is off the record. This is more of like an implication. This is not the meaning of the text. But, man, I love the fact that Paul starts by saying, in all, in good conscience, like I did everything to serve the Lord. But you know what I love about him saying that here? Because I love that with no um, conviction, no, like, man, am I doing something wrong? He totally, with zeal, with peace in his heart, was totally disobeying God. You know what I love about that? Because that shows you and me that we got to be very careful to say, I'm doing something because I felt it. Man, but I, didn't, I felt peace at that. I felt so much peace. Paul felt peace when he was killing Christians. Jonah felt peace when he was asleep at the bottom of the boat. You read the scripture. It says, and Jonah slept peacefully. I think the author put that in there just to remind us. You can do really evil things and be totally disobeying God. And think you obeying God. Paul thought he was totally being faithful to Yahweh. He thought he was totally being faithful. So I love the fact here that he says, hey, I had a great conscience. Now, is conscience important? Absolutely. But see, the reality is this. Conscience, don't miss this family. You might want to. Conscience is a, is a faculty that God has given us in the Holy Spirit that basically makes a moral judgment on what you do. That's what the conscience is, right? Your conscience, you do something and your conscience says, okay, I think that was okay. But the thing about that, your conscience can get seared. And so your conscience assumes that you're walking with God when it's godly. <laughs> you follow me? So it got to be very important when you talk about, man, I felt something. I, I just, you know, God, I think God was in it. Well, we got to ask some questions. Were you walking with God? <laughs> Were you believing God's truth? So all that to say is the implication here that hopefully in our body, we, we would understand that a lot of other things have to happen as far as revelation. When you're making decisions and you're doing things for Jesus, it cannot be 80% conscious, 3% Bible, 4% community, right? You got to flip that stuff around. You got to be 80% Bible, you know what I'm saying? 10% community or you, you do the math, but man, conscience should not be getting the biggest airplay in your decision-making as you walk with Jesus. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm blown away at that. I'm blown away. When you, when you minister to Mormons, you minister to Mormons before? Where does it always end? I talk to Mormons. We talk about all this stuff. We talk about the, 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 the earths and all the different places you can go. And we talk about all this data. And then eventually, you know what they say when you start cornering them and you start revealing lies? Every time, and I think, I, the first few times I haven't met, I thought, okay, that was just that one guy. He, he just got scared. But every time I talk to a Mormon, they always end in the same way. When I continue to talk about the doctrine of Jesus Christ, they'll just say, well, oh, yeah, I hear you, but I just felt it in my own heart. Every time, take a Mormon to task. Eventually, they'll tell you that they had an experience. And that's, and that's, where, and that's, where, their, that's where their anchor is. Right? 
You know why? Because that's where you got to go when it's not true. Where else you going to go? You know, you got to go, well, I just thought so. That was just what I felt. Because I came prying to that. Oh, well, okay. I came prying to that. That was just what you felt. Right? Be careful, family. I'm humbled. I'm humbled that, you know, you had millions of German young men probably feeling like they were totally being faithful, man, when they were killing Jews. I think some of them were super evil and just, you know, wanted to mutilate cats. I think some of the cats was a super brainwash. And in their hearts, they thought this is the right thing to do. In their hearts. And they were totally being evil. So be careful, family. The word. The people of God. Prayer. Conscience. The scripture says, then Paul said to him. So he pops in the mouth. Right? Boop. Then Paul said to him, now this is, this is crazy. This is some, now you're going to see Paul's humanity here. Say with me here. God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. He got street on him. You know, that's, that is first century slang, y'all. All right? You know what I'm saying? He says, are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? Look, you know what he, you know what he basically said to this dude? He said, he said dude popped him blue. He's like, oh, okay. Well, guess what? God going to punch you in the mouth, sucker. That's what he said. He said that to this dude. He said that to the high priest. Guys, he said that to the high priest. <laughs> Paul the thug. So check this out. So you think about, so when you talk about this whitewashed wall piece, you can get a real picture of that in Ezekiel. Um, I would, if I was you, I would just read the chapter 13 as a whole, 10 through 13, verses 10 through 13 is where it talks about it. But this whole concept of whitewashed wall is just a really deep concept. I mean, you know, if you, you know, in our hood, you see this sometimes. Like, so basically, it's like you have a wall and you use really bad mortar, right? Because you're trying to get over on cats. So you use really bad mortar. And as a carpenter, you, I, mean, I, I know you understand this, and you use really bad mortar, and then you paint over the wall. So you paint over the wall, whitewash wall. So then people think, oh, look at this beautiful house. It's so beautiful. And then it falls down in three days, right? It's corroded. It's dirty. It's not, it's, it doesn't, right? It doesn't, it's, not, it's not real. That's the whole concept of whitewash wall, right? So what is he saying? He's, he's calling these guys phonies, right? I mean, you, and this is serious business, right? And, he's, and now, now, now here's the kicker. He's kind of right, right? We know they're phony in the sense that, first of all, you break in the law because the Bible is very clear in the scriptures that it says when you, if you hit a Jewish man, it's like hitting Yahweh. And so, he, so they get that, these, these, these guys who are keepers of the law. And so when Paul says that, he's like, how can you hit me, but yet you t- you're mad at me because you're saying I broke the law? When you're breaking the law by hitting me, right? But, but you know what's cool here? So, so he hits him. Paul's been beat down almost twice now. We've seen him get beat down again. Guy pops him. He gets stretched out. He's, go, he's just got a horrible week, right? This is a bad week. Some of us think we had a bad week. This brother had a bad week, okay? And guess what? So now you would think he has all the justification in the world to just wild out and start saying stuff like that, right? I want to propose at this moment, God isn't pleased, I don't propose that he, 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 he shouldn't have said this, that this was actually sin. I think he got, he got caught up, got mad, and said something that he shouldn't have said. You know what? I love that, though. Isn't that so fun to see Paul, the greatest theologian in all of New Testament history, just 
lose his cool? You say, did he really lose his cool? Look what he says here. Of course he did. Look at this. Then they say, verse 4, those who stood by said, whoa, would you revile God's high priest? You speak like you don't got that. You speak like that against God's high priest. Right. And look what Paul does. So, so they're kind of looking at him like, man, you you kind of you mocking the high priest. You kind of why, how why would you do that? So they're like, man, you playing. You took the gloves off. I know he hit you, but that's not that's not right. And look what Paul says here. I love this. Paul didn't justify it. Paul didn't go, but man, you, it's been a rough week. Man, brother, brother, you know, 40 people beat me down on the dirt. You know what I'm saying? Got people throwing dirt at me. You know, they stretched me out to torture me. High priest punched me in the mouth. He didn't, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't justify it. Look what he says here. Look what the scriptures say. It says, Paul just paused and was like, I did not know, brothers, that was a high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So here's Paul calling it sin and saying, man, my fault. I, you know what? I was mad, but I shouldn't have said that. Um, I, I have no excuse. He, I love the fact that he apologized um, because he realized he broke the law. The law, uh, look at Exodus chapter 22, and you can see that, that context there. But he kind of calls sin, sin, family. And you know what I love about it? I love that everybody saw him do that, lose his cool. And I love that everybody saw him repent. <laughs> And say, man, I shouldn't have done that. The scriptures are very clear. That's on me, y'all. That's on me. Isn't that cool? How many of y'all would have done that? How many of y'all would have? <laughs> you're just like, again. I wish. I, I sometimes wish the Lord just just told teleport us back in the first century. Let us see how mutilated and messed up she he was. Just to see the justification he would have had to say, man, I should be mad right now. I can't even see out of one of my eyes. I can't feel my cheek. I think my jaw's broke. Man, I don't know. Something's going on with my rib. I twist my ankle when they brought me in. I mean, you can imagine how beat up this dude is right now. And yet he has the maturity to say, you know what? I sinned against you. Which, by the way, the essence of Christian maturity is not about not sinning. It's about coming clean when you sin. You really know someone's mature in Christ. See, see, that's Pharisaic. When you think you don't just like not have sin, you've all, you've already lost your mind. It's like the thing is, it's not about going around. Some of us think our Christian journey. We think the Christian journey is about not sinning, versus about being with God. Right? Christian journey is not about not sinning. Right? We don't want to sin. We want to be holy. You know, we're very serious about holiness here. But man, you want to see a mature believer. You see someone is when they do something, they're not they're not blame shifting and and being prideful and saying, "Well, but only if you knew." And they're just saying, "Man, I did that, and I'm sorry, and I want to be restored." No excuses, right? No sad songs, just ownership. That's Christian maturity. Verse 6. Now, when Paul perceived, check this out. So that's the first part of humanity we get to see. We get to see Paul be kind of jacked up, but yet still humble himself. Even these guys are still, you know, they, hey, you know what's funny? They didn't apologize for hitting him. They didn't go, oh, thanks, Paul, man. I'm sorry too, man. <laughs> there was none of that. You know how you want that sometimes. You say you're sorry first, and you're like, now, now, come on. Come on now, I'm waiting. Don't, make, don't, don't put me out here like that, Right? They, they're like, you should be sorry. You know what I'm saying? You ever had somebody do that to you? You finally, you open up your heart, you, you go out there, I'm sorry, man, you just strip, you just strip. Mm, here, here I am. And they're like, about time. <laughs> right? 
they didn't apologize. They just kept doing their thing. But Paul wasn't concerned about them. He was concerned about Christ, right? Look at what the scriptures say. He gets so straight. So he's checking out the situation. He realizes, man, I can't go back out there because they're going to kill me. I got this whole, all these smart folks that I grew up with that know I'm a man because I was with Gamaliel. A lot of these Pharisees didn't even get a chance to study under Gamaliel because they weren't as awesome as I am. This is Paul. I'm just keeping it, I'm keeping it 100. He, was, he, he studied with the greatest rabbi in, in, in the first century time. And half of those guys probably were like, man, I wanted your spot. I've been jealous for you about you for 20 years. <laughs> and now you're in this spot. And he looks at him, he's looking at the scenario, and he's thinking, what am I going to do now? Because they are, man, they're going to try to figure out a way to say that I defend, defame the temple so they can kill me. Look what he does. You talk about shrewd. Look at the text. So Paul checking things out, right? Verse 6 says, now when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees, so God, look what the Holy Spirit did. He already knew this, but God brought it to mind. God was like, no, remember now, Paul. Remember the group you're dealing with. One group is Sadducees. One group is Pharisees. Now, why is that important, y'all? Look at this. It says that one part was Sadducees and the other was Pharisees. Now, here's, how, here's why that's important. Pharisees and Sadducees couldn't stand each other, right? Because basically the Pharisees were seen as like the, 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 the supernatural folk, right, who kind of believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in demons. I mean, they believed that, that God is doing this great thing. And you had the Sadducees who didn't believe in any of that. Right? So you had these two groups. They were, so these guys, supernaturalists, you got Sadducees, more rational, right? They all, they all loved Yahweh, but just had very good, fra- different frameworks, different worldviews, okay? And so they came together. The Sadducees usually would run the council, but, but the Pharisees would always mess things up because they couldn't vote on nothing. So it was like a crazy journey for these guys. So Paul, Holy Spirit, is reminding Paul of that, right? So he's like, huh, let me think of this. It says in verse 7, I'm sorry, he says, uh, brothers, I am a Pharisee. So he knows that, right? He cried out to the council, hey, I'm a Pharisee. Now you think, why would he do that? He says, I'm not just a Pharisee, I'm a son of Pharisees. So I got lineage in this action, right? It is with respect to the, look what he does here. So he says, I'm a Pharisee. And then he talks about one of the doctrines that they know they go crazy over. Can you imagine? So the one, the, the one doctrine, not all the doctrines, you think of the thousands of doctrines you can bring up. He says, hey, guess what? It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the, of the dead that I'm on trial. He didn't have to introduce Jesus like that. There's a, there's, a, there's a myriad of things that Jesus did. Being the son of God, all this, you know what I mean? He said, you know, I just want to talk about the resurrection thing, that thing y'all hate. And so these guys listen, and they get crazy. They get so upset, and they're like, oh, my goodness. Look, verse 7 says, and when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Now, check, isn't that cool? It says, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, right, nor, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. So you see what he's doing here? So what he's doing, he's, he's, he's filibustering. He's providing a lame duck session, Right? He's saying, I'm going right, I'm I'm to talk a lot of stuff, and I'm going you know, to say some things that's going to get you rattled. Y'all going to get mad, and y'all going to forget about me, and y'all going to start arguing. And guess what? All of a sudden, I don't even think it was the case anyway, but the whole desire for truth is going to go out the window. And now it's going to be about pride. Isn't that deep? Pride. Pride, y'all. Man, I mean, you talk about something that grapples us. Look at these guys. Totally forgot about Paul. Look at the scriptures say. 
verse 9. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and continued sharply. <laughs> now remember, they're all there, and they're, 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 in the beginning, they're all probably like, man, we got to get rid of this dude. Right? They're all kind of like, there was no one contending for Paul. For heaven's sake, the high priest just smacked them two minutes ago. Right? And look what it says. The guy just not only just got up and said, hey, I want to say something about Paul. Contend sharply. We find nothing wrong with this man. Why do you think they said that? Because that'll make the Sadducees really mad. Right? Wait a minute. We find nothing wrong with this man because he's one of us. You see that? And the Sadducees now really want him. So they're like, no, we're not going to let you have him because we let you have him. It's going to show that you have some power. We don't like y'all, so we want y'all to have power. It became about them. You see that? You see what the Holy Spirit is doing there? I mean, you talk about the wisdom of Paul by God's grace and the power of the Spirit to remember, you know what? The weakness of man, if I get them two fighting, they'll forget all about me. Great clamor rose. We find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or angel spoke to him? Hey, what if it happened? Why y'all, why y'all bent out of shape, right? And they now are willing to let Paul off the hook because they're more concerned about being right. You see that? Hmm. <laughs> see, at some point, the Pharisees just love that Paul went against their enemies. They're just so excited about that. <laughs> he, he don't like y'all either. Right? <laughs> I mean, it was, that, it was that simple, right? Verse 10, and when the dissension became violent, so now they, now you got, now remember, these are religious folk. These are people who study, they memorize the Pentateuch, they got their garments, they all, they smart and all this stuff. I love, they get violent. These cats, I'm telling you. Straight in there, so forgot. You can take a brother out the hood. Look at this. And when the decision became violent, the tribune, the dude who was running things, right, who runs all the centurions, looks again and goes, oh, my goodness. You know, you get, you get these brothers mad. It's about to get crazy. Afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them because they're probably like, he's with us. No, we should, we should kill him. No, he's with us kind of deal commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from, uh, from among them by force and bring him into the barracks, bring him into a safe place, right? So one's saying he's cool. The other one's really frustrated. And now they're going against each other. And it buys Paul a little more time, verse 11. And the following night, so, so Paul now is in the barracks. He's in a safe place. Finally, you think about what we've read the last three weeks. It's probably one of the first times he actually gets some rest, Right? Probably one of the first times. And the scripture says, now the following night, he's there trying to figure out, man, okay, and it bought me some time. I don't know, maybe he was discouraged. I don't know. But he's sitting there thinking, now what? Because eventually they're going to they're gonna figure this out. And look what the Lord does, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. What's God doing there? What's God doing there? God's reminding him again who's in control. You know what he said there by saying that? He said, hey, I love you. He gives him little, little tidbits. Now, this is supernatural. Praise the Lord. He does it supernaturally. But man, isn't that encouraging? He said, hey, now I just told you you're going to be doing the same thing in Rome. So you know you ain't going to die. Because I said so. <laughs> you don't think that encouraged him a little bit? So I'm going to make it out of here? Paul's probably thinking, how am I going to make it out of here? They got brothers camped out. 
what I'm saying? You camp out for Chick-fil-A and for, you know, TVs outside of Walmart. A million Jews camping out for this brother. Wait until his brother come outside. We got something for him. He's thinking, what am I going to do? I got the Romans trying to figure out when they can kill me. And if I do something wrong, I got the Jews wanting to kill me. What's going to happen? He says, hey, I love you. He says, hey, I'm, I got you. You're going to do the same testimony. And I love the fact that he, said, he almost says, like, Paul, you, you've been faithful. You did, you did good, bro. Praise the Lord. You've done good. And I love it's right after he sinned. <laughs> I love the fact that he didn't bring that up. Man, why you? I can't believe you dogged the high priest like that. You know you was clowning, Paul. Right? None of that. The following night, it says he take courage. Right? So he tells him, hey, you, you're going to be okay. Here's, when I think about what he's doing here, when I think about what do you, what do, you do with all this? What do you, what do you do with what God is doing here? What do you do with, with God showing just the shrewdness of man as he uses man? What do we do with all this text here? What happens in the mindset of a first century Jew as they're reading this text? Well, the first one I think is, um, I don't think they would have discerned this, but I think this is important for us. Ask God to make our hearts soft with truth. That's more about just from the text, man, I'm just blown away from the fact that as I'm reading, I'm going, man, like how quickly truth gets pushed out the picture and people get so focused on pride and what they want to be about that, man, slowly truth takes the back seat. Can I ask a question? Does truth take a back seat in your life when you get riled up, when you get passionate about something? Huh? Does truth, do you, do you finally kind of deceive yourself? When you, when you want to hold dear to something, what, what is something that if I brought it up right now, that would just be that hot button? What is it? And then what if you found, or would you even be able to find out that maybe your hot button was unbiblical? How would you, how would you respond to that? My prayer is for us as a body that, man, man, we would just be so desirous for God's truth. That even things we hold dear, we'll be willing to let the Holy Spirit reveal something to us and go, man, I always thought that, but man, and this is hard, but it seems really clear. So let me give it over to the Lord. But you know what I think the, I think the, the posture of the text is? You know what I think the movement of the text is? What I think a first century Jew probably thought when they was reading this? I think they thought, man, God cares for his people. I think it was that simple. I think they looked at a text here and they just thought, man, you know, you can wrap that in the sovereignty, evidence of God's grace, uh, God's wisdom protecting him. But in essence, they just saw, I just think they just, I just think people read that text and they just thought, they just thought more about God. Like God's awesome. Look what God did. God protected him. God comforted him. God gave him wisdom. It just seems that they, they left the text thinking more about the exaltation of Christ and a passion to say, I want to serve that God, that God cares for you. God cares for you. Now, why do we bring that up? Well, you're like, oh, yeah, I know God cares for me. Well, well, well. See, what I love about this passage, and then we're going to go home is what God is doing here is he's saying that to, to really say that you know God cares for you, he revealed, He allows you to reveal that reality through different litmus tests all throughout your days and your life. When you really say God cares for you, but you live your life like you have to do everything and care for yourself, then you really don't think God cares for you. Do you see that? When you, when you go around 
And you're going, man, God cares for me. But man, I got I to gotta make sure every situation I created so I have the most upside. I got to make sure that I'm going around my life and make sure that I'm protecting this and I'm, and I'm doing this and I'm, and I'm covering this and I'm, and I'm working my plan. But God cares for me. You see that? No, 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 no. You, you really think I don't know if God cares for me, so I better make sure I care for myself. I better make sure I protect mine. All right. See, that whole simple concept that God cares for you reveals itself on how you handle, you know, we got Michigan, Michigan students here, on how you handle your studies, right? How you handle your workplace, people. How you handle your kids. It shows how you, what you really think about God and his care for you on how you hold tight or you let God do some things. Where are you going to go? What are you going to be about? All right? You know, I was talking to a dear sister. It was like, hey, I'm, I'm in this crazy situation. I got friends who want to keep me, pull me down. You know, she wants to walk with the Lord. She's seeking Jesus. I'm so proud of her. And she's like, it's hard, you know? You know, you know she has to keep reminding herself. When you, you know this happened, you become a Christian. God reveals himself to you and says, I want your life. And you start thinking, okay, that's awesome. I'm excited. But at the same time, I got all these little gods in my life. My desire for friendship. I like my homies. I like doing this way of living. I like, I like being conniving and being, and being un, you know, dishonest so I can get this. I, I'm self-centered. Name the thing that you struggle with. And then God starts saying, but you know I care for you, right? I'll, I got you, right? But I don't want, I don't, but what if I let this go? I've always had these friends. You know I'm going to care for you, right? That's what he says in 1 Peter 5, 6. You know, he says, cast your cares, right, to Jesus. Why? What does the scripture say? For he cares for us. All right, it gives you a reason. Don't just, don't just give them to Jesus. Who you, you going to give something to somebody don't care for you? He said, he said I got I to gotta, I gotta end that sentence because I care for you. I got you. So guess what you're supposed to remember? God's like, I care about you. I got you. You go ahead and get that over to me. I know you, you can't even remember the last time you didn't have that in your life. You got strongholds in your life. You're like, but no one knows about this and I fake it, but I got this addiction and I'm scared because it's going to take everything in me. When I tried to give it up last week, I went four days and I started shaking because it was so, it, it almost became anatomical. It became part of my anatomy. Can I give this over to the Lord? I don't want to be a wreck struggling with this, with anxiety or sexual sin or whatever it is. And God says, hey, I care for you. I got you. Give it over. The reality that you believe that God cares for you is determined in how you live. Here's the thing, guys. At the end of the day, the world tells you to put yourself in the best position. And God says, no. He says, I want you to give your life as a drink offering and trust me that I care about you. See, that's very different, right? You listen to all the commercials and all your friends and everyone's saying a different thing in the Bible. That's why we struggle so much. But look what God does. Be of good cheer. You get, you get 90 hours of the world, right? Maybe 80 some hours of the world saying all the lies. You might spend two hours in the Bible a day if you're a really good Christian, right? Okay. You know you don't. So you know you don't. So let's tell the truth. So say you get a couple of hours in the Bible a week. You get four hours. 
Okay? You get a little fellowship on Sunday. You get a couple hours. That's six hours. You get a Bible study or a small group. That's two hours. Or if you are a small group, they know how to talk. Three hours. Okay? <laughs> Guess what? You know why you should be a good cheer? Because God is taking 10 hours a week, six hours a week, three hours a week, and he's changing you. What would happen if we gave him more hours? Do you see that? He goes up against 80 hours, 90 hours of the world saying, this is where your value is. This is how you should look at yourself. This is what people say about you. This is what your life should be about. This is what you should go after in life. This is who you are. And then God comes over an hour and says, no, it ain't. And then you change. Do you see the supernatural power in that? Do you see what God is trying to say? I care about you. And so when you give me more of yourself, I'm going to change you. That's what God is saying. He's saying it to somebody right now here. He said, quit playing. I care about you. I want to change you. Be radical for Christ. Give it over to Christ. That's what he's saying. Here's the thing, guys. When we don't, it hinders mission. I think it's, I think, so I think when we, when we're, when we're not other centered, it's because like when we, when we're hoarding, it's the, it's the antithesis of serving. You, it's hard to hoard and give at the same time. Isn't that fair? Try it. You can't do it. To be self-sacrificial in essence, you can't be a hoarder. You can't. It hinders mission. When we're all about us, it hinders mission, guys. It hinders intimacy. When we're all about us. And I love my man, Ken. He, he, he keeps it real. He'll share up front. He'll share in that group. Man, I, it took me years before I could hold my wife's hand. It took me years to, to really be in there and to just like open up and say, okay, this is hard. But I want to go here. I want to I I let you speak to my life. I want to I share something. Because, man, when the world tells you, no, you don't trust people. It's hard to then say, oh, okay, Lord. Totally opposite of what the world tells me. It hinders it. When you don't think God cares for you, it hinders mission. It hinders intimacy. You can't be intimate because you're like, well, man, I, I just don't know if it's going to hurt. I, I, if you can't give yourself to God, I'm telling you, you're gonna, it's going to hinder how you handle each other. Finally, guys, uh, it hinders trust and allegiance. It's hard to quit hanging with the wrong crowd. It's hard to, to turn and say, I'm going to. I'm going to cast down alcohol. I'm going to cast down anxiety by God's grace. I'm going, to, I'm going to quit being a cup half empty person. Some of us, we grew up, our personalities, we're just grumpy. You know? You become a Christian, you're like, I've been grumpy all my life. You know, I'm just grumpy. And you know what I'm saying? And some of us, and some of us are really having gregarious, but it's in the flesh. Right? And it takes so much energy for you to fake people out and be happy all the time. And, and both, both of them are idols. Both of y'all, God is saying, I want you to be real and sanctified in Christ. You ain't got to always be happy and act like you're happy when you know you ain't happy. That ain't, that's not human. That's not real. That doesn't honor Christ. What honors Christ is when we go, man, I ain't happy today. But God is good. You know what I'm saying? It's funny, man. I remember I had some cats a long time ago babysitting Came home and it was like, oh man, your, your kids are acting bad. And I was so surprised. I'm like, why? They sinners. 
Don't be putting no pressure on my kids. They jacked up. You don't be surprised. You know what I'm saying? So you get, so that, 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 that grumpy dude need to say, okay, Lord, how do I, okay, Lord, like, what does it look like to, you care for me. I don't need to. Why am I grumpy? Why do I, why can't I see with your worldview? Because when, when we have hope, see, that's not about Oprah, right? That's just a hope issue. When you have hope and you realize Jesus rose from the dead, that this is Jesus's world, that you're a co-heir with Jesus, how are you going to still be grumpy? You can't be. That's what the Bible says, in all things give thanks. But then also God says, I'm, I'm making both good and bad days. You got bad days. So he wants you to recognize that. That's okay. My point, guys, and I know I've been laboring. My point is, it hinders. So, guys, my prayer for me and for you, it will be a body who remembers. God cares. When you look at this text, you see he protected Paul. He gave Paul shrewd advice in the power of the spirit. And he, he moved in order to show Paul, I'm with you, bro. Be encouraged. Here's what we're doing. We're doing tithe and offering right now.